Before we get into this edition of Getting There with God, I'm going to tell you about the people that make this podcast possible. Wherever you listen across upstate New York, it's worth the drive to the shops of Wilton to visit Lillian David Fine Jewelers. Family owned and operated business. Maybe you're dating somebody right now. You're ready to take that to the next level, the fiance. Or maybe you're engaged and you're looking to save for your wedding season. Take advantage of the two-for-one wedding band sale going on at Lily and David Fine Jewelers. Stop into the shops of Wilton. I know from experience, that's where I bought my engagement ring. I get it, guys. You're nervous. You're sweaty. You don't know what fits your budget. You don't know what she's going to like. Trust the professionals at Lily and David Fine Jewelers. Shout out to Alyssa. Shout out to David and the whole staff there. They want to make sure the process is easy for you. And she gets exactly what she wants, and she brags about it to her friends, and she loves it for years to come. It can happen, whether it's the wedding band, whether it's the engagement ring. Guys, maybe it's just her birthday, an anniversary, whatever it might be. Find the perfect piece of jewelry for her. I know from experience, I'm telling you, the staff there will be on your side and help you through the entire step of the way. Shops of Wilton off of Route 50 in Wilton. Route 50, Shops of Wilton. That spot, new location. I've been there. They've got the selection that you want at Lillian David Fine Jewelers. And tell me you heard about it from Gaz here on Gazilla Media. And our friend Jared Lozier over at Northeastern Insurance. 2022, the spring is here. Some of you are going through your finances and wondering where can you have saved some cash this past year? Some of you are looking at your gas bill and wondering, oh, God, like I'm spending this much for gas now. Can I save somewhere else? Well, if you're a small business owner, uh, your car, your home, your insurance policies you pay per year. Are, are you paying too much? Think about that. How often are you asking yourself, are you paying too much? Jared Lozier wants to help answer those questions for you. Let him shop for quotes, change your policies, save some money. All it takes is one email, one call. Hey, Jared, can you shop some quotes for me? And he'll do it for you. Here's his email. J-A-R-E-D-L at nemail.com. It's one of my favorite things that I hear other businesses complimenting Jared for how good he does for their business. Let that be you. Compliment it. Leave a review right here on our Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever it might be for our guy, Jared Lozier. One more time for his email from Northeastern Insurance, J-A-R-E-D-L at nemail.com. If you want a free quote or call 518-956-3753. That's Jared Lozier, Northeastern Insurance, 518-956-3753. We mentioned saving money. People love doing that. Now you can do it for your taxes. Some of you are putting it off, right? Alex Bodenzeek, AVB Taxes is your guy this year to help you with your taxes. Maybe you're a rookie business owner who's trying to throw that last second Hal Mary to help in tax season. Don't be like that. Alex Bodenzeek wants to work with you. For years, Alex Bodenzeek at AVB Tax has been the go-to relief for small service business owners who are stressed about filing their taxes. I work with Alex Bodenzeek. He helps Godzilla Media. I need him. I'm so glad I've got him on my side. He knows that some people get overwhelmed during tax season, the paperwork, all that stuff. That's where Alex steps in and changes the game. With him, you gain that home field advantage. He's a team player, can trust, provide simple, tailored services with that quick turnaround time. Passionate professionalism keeps your stress and taxes to a minimum all advice services and documentation absolutely confidential for a free consultation with alex text or call him today 518-400-0282 again alex bodenzeek avb taxes call today 518-400-0282 now on to this week's episode of getting there with guys 
Another edition here of Getting There with Goss, where we talk about the career journeys of athletes, coaches, business owners, media members, and more from upstate New York. It is March. You had a feeling this guy's face might pop up when we're talking about March Madness in the Capital Region in upstate New York. Ronald Moore joins us. And Ronald, for those who may not know your story, maybe some people listening outside of the Capital Region, take us back to a younger version of you, six, seven, eight years old. Where did you grow up and what did you want to be as a kid? Oh man, I'm uh first want to say thank you for having me. Uh it's definitely a pleasure being here. Um a little bit by myself. I'm uh from the Philadelphia area. Uh six or seven, you say. I I don't know if I was even playing basketball at that time, but uh definitely ran in my family, uh, with my older brother playing, um, uncles playing. Um so it was always around me, so always kind of watching the game, even though I might not have been playing at that young age. Uh basketball was always around me, near to me and uh dear to me i guess you could say when did you start playing and realizing like maybe this sport might take me farther than i ever could have imagined um well definitely never thought it would take me as far as it did until i mean i guess the moment really kind of presented itself to be honest i kind of always took it one step at a time my next goal whether it was you know play high school basketball play varsity basketball make it to college and then you know obviously once being in college you know start hearing the buzz and thinking that professional was actually a real opportunity. So obviously every kid says, you know, they dream of playing the NBA. Um, I just love the game, to be honest, and kind of was just willing to take it as far as it was going to take me. So let's go through that recruiting process. You have a, a strange, unique, weird, whatever way you <laughs> want to describe it, your story of how Sienna started recruiting you. Take us through it, how Coach Fran McCaffrey discovered you. Um, well, I always think my uh, high school coach, because uh, he's a guy that, you know, believes in his players and um, always is willing to put the foot forward to kind of help those guys get to where they wanted to be. And um, I think he emailed out to a number of schools. I believe I think I was, might have been on their radar as well, but uh, being though Coach McCaffrey is from the Philadelphia area, you know, him kind of tending to visit to whether it's family and friends makes it a little bit convenient to stop by to catch a Plymouth uh, White Marsh High School game where I went to, where I went to high school. Um, but the funny story always goes to me meeting him prior to the game um, where his mom lives two blocks down from a family friend of ours, which I just so happened to be uh, visiting the same day of the game. Um, and me and coach actually leaving the house, him from his mom's, me from the family friends, uh, running into each other. So uh, I didn't even know he was you know, coming down to see me play. Um, but the family friend uh, is, knows you know, Fran's mom and was like, hey, Fran, you know what you doing in town? And uh, he's like, I'm here to catch a game. He's like, I'm actually here to, you know, come see him play. So uh, <laughs> put the pressure on me early, and I think I did a good job of uh, stepping up to the case and uh, putting on a good show for him to willing to offer me right after the game. I was going to say, once you find out not only is the coach there, but the coach is there to see you, the pressure, like you said, you embraced it. And sure enough, good enough performance, and the offer is coming from the Capital Region. For sure, for sure. And I, at that time, it was kind of – I want to say it was in December, so it was kind of late in the, not late, but you know, late to be kind of not committed per se during that time. Everybody, I feel like now, commits at an early age, but 
I didn't really fully commit to seeing it until, uh, I want to say in January, um, which back then, I guess you could say it was a fairly late uh, commitment. Um, but, you know, a couple teams have been coming to watch me play. And so I kind of started getting used to knowing there's somebody in the crowd and put my best foot forward uh, no matter what. So that quick turnaround from December to January. So did you never visit the campus? Did you I, I, did, I, I did. So I think I want to say it was like early December. He came. I was able to get up there for an official visit um, during winter break. So nobody was on campus. Uh, so I didn't really get the experience with, you know, life would be like on campus. Um, but it was a great group of guys, uh, Tate Fisher and uh, Kenny Hasbrook being the guys to really kind of host me along with uh, Mike Haddix, who was there. Um, just, you know, great group of guys and just knowing that the recruiting class that was coming in with me was also uh, pretty talented and that we could, you know, potentially do some big things. One of my favorite things to ask athletes is that first day in college, whether it be a summer workout, a practice, whatever it might be. Was there a, okay, welcome to Division One athletics, welcome to college moment for you that first season? Um, I'm trying to think, well, it's funny too, because I don't know if they still do it this time, but even I started, I guess you could say, school prior to other freshmen because once you commit that summer going into college, they have the kids, you know, uh, us come up and uh, take a summer course, kind of get acclimated to try to get ahead a little bit just because, you know, during the season, uh, you can have a heavy workload if you got, you know, if you're taking five or six courses um, in the middle of the season. So we can kind of offset that by, you know, taking one or two in the summer to make it a lighter load during the season. That's always beneficial. Um, but yeah, I guess it was kind of the practice, you know, going through conditioning, never really going through a conditioning workout prior, you know, high school, it's you know, nothing strenuous, but, you know, kind of getting there and going through, I'm like, okay, now it's, this is a, it's a different level. <laughs> now, wait a second, wait a second, the conditioning workout, because people know this for sure. Look, you might've done some type of, you know, physical activity and practice or whatever else. Right. Right. But it's more about and maybe i don't want to put words in your mouth but that stuff is more mental than physical because you want to know when the last rep is and when it's going to end and how hard sure. this is going to get so so you felt <laughs> it then it was more mental than physical doing the conditioning yeah for sure i think it was you know even just the weight training it was combined to just you know lifting and then going on the court doing the conditioning and it's like you know i always felt as though i was a player that was in shape but to play at a high level playing at that pace um you definitely got to really be in shape um, especially if you can play in major minutes, uh, as I did for a, a good portion of my career. You did play some major minutes. I don't want to skip over your freshman year, but I feel like so many stories are going to come from a little further in your career, and in particular that 2007-2008 year when mm -hmm. we start talking about Siena becoming an NCAA tournament team and a few times, right? Like, So take us sure. through that 2008 season in particular and how you guys are able to punch that ticket to March Madness. Um, I really think it comes from that freshman year coming up short um, in the MAC championship game against a, a very good uh, Niagara team. Um, I they just gave us, you know, a, a chip on our shoulders and we kind of knew what it takes to get there. But now we're kind of prepared for when that moment comes again. So uh, I can't remember who we played in the championship my sophomore year. Um, but I know every year in the MAC tournament was always interesting games, always whether we were down and coming back or, you know, some type of heroics needed to be done, you know, winding down in those uh, closing minutes to really seal the deal, uh, which made it just, you know, a fun atmosphere. And, and again, just having us used to those close situations and pressure situations and uh, really arising to the occasion almost every time. 
you win that championship for the league in 2008 and you're off to the NCAA tournament. Before we get to that round of 64 game, take us through that prep for the NCAA tournament. So many young college basketball players, that might be the goal, especially when you and I are taping here in March of 2022. Everyone's going to be watching the games and hoping that one day they get to play in the big tournament. Before tip-off, what was the emotions like? What was that feel prepping for a huge game? Man, I don't even know if I even told this story before, but definitely that selection Sunday, um, it was definitely like a, a WTF moment, man. I think <laughs> I, I definitely, I shed a tear. I haven't told many that. It's just, you know, everybody, you know, knows selection Sunday and, you know, the media is there. Everybody's sitting there rating where you're going to play, who you're going to play against. And uh, to actually be doing that and going through that uh, was really exciting, uh, simply because uh, my brother, who went to Vanderbilt, um, he went to Seton Hall first, then went to Vanderbilt, uh, never got that experience. So it was one up on Big Bro. And uh, even though my brother was definitely my, my hero, my idol growing up, to finally have a, a one up on him uh, in the basketball world was definitely uh, a cherishable moment for me. And to be playing against his alma mater, it was one even better. So uh, it was exciting, man, not just for me, just, just for the guys, just because, you know, all the hard work we put into, again, coming up short the year before and finally having that moment, not just for us, but for, you know, for Siena, the uptown, you know, the, the capital region, man, there was so much support. So you just felt the energy around the town. It was it was amazing. Well, you get to add one more to your brother, too, because you beat that Vanderbilt team and yes. one of the big upsets of that 2008 tournament. The emotions in a game, too, especially when you are, whatever term we want to use, the underdog, the Cinderella in a game, the, the crowd in particular during the NCAA tournament. They you can feel, you. right? They cheer for, for sure. you. And it's funny, that year in Tampa, it was called Upset City simply because every uh, low seed uh, beat the high seed uh, with us, uh, Nova. Uh, I want to say it was a red team. I can't remember off the top of my head, but all the, you know, lower seeds won and they call it upset city um and even though i don't think nova was necessarily a low seed per se being though they had this a tough big east schedule and uh, so i think they were definitely more prepared than we were uh for those kind of for those kind of games as exciting as the game was as well as you played in that game what was the locker room like when you pull off that upset oh man not just the locker room just even afterwards because uh the whole hotel was just sienna itself everything every, it was green and yellow green and gold balloons uh the band is there the, the cheerleaders there all our parents all the fans all stayed in one hotel so coming back it was just you know celebration on celebration uh you know that we we won our first game even though you're able to win that first game the ride ends quick the celebration is there and all of a sudden the sights start to turn to the 2009 season when you win the NCAA tournament, when you win your conference tournament, was there extra pressure on you in particular heading into that junior season now? Um, I don't think so. If you ask my guys that are on that team, man, I was kind of just the one that just – the confidence was just there and I was just leading it for everybody else. I was – anything, if it was pressure there, I was the one that was adding to it even more um, just because I felt that we had a good group of guys who were talented. Um, I know – we knew what it took to get there. And I believe that we had so much more uh, to give. Um, so I was even predicting, I want to say going to my junior sweet 16 and making it known at the, before the season. Um, so it was fun times, man. My teammates, you know, they actually, they loved that about me and uh, you know, they played off that energy. And I think that, you know, helped us, you know, win a lot of games. 
You win a lot of games. You win the MAC championship again, second time in a row. It, the, sure. the sweeter feeling, man, because now you guys, you called your shot. You said, we're the team to beat. We got to go for out sure. and do it. And sure enough, you guys go and did it. For sure, for sure. And, and you know, Coach Mack always, again, was he was a confident guy as well. And he would let us in on time, especially when we were setting up uh, our non-conference games. Because I think that year, uh, our RPI was, I want to say, top five. Because uh, we played Memphis. We played at Kansas. Uh, we played a lot of, you know, top schools um, that year. And a lot of teams were even scared to play us early on in the season just because, you know, they didn't want to take that early loss uh, from a mid-major such as ourselves. So uh, we were confident, man. We were rolling off that. We were feeding off that. And even the, the new guys, you know, freshmen coming in, um, were buying into that energy we were going with. So uh we, we we bought into that mentality man and i think that uh it really just drove us because we competed every day in practice um you know in-house fighting and so but it always was just to just to make us better that in-house fighting you're talking about that's just competition that's just guys oh, pushing yeah. themselves that's just teammates that's that's on the court stuff and not personal stuff it's you weren't in the era where social media and people cared about what they were posting on instagram you guys just cared about what happened on the court exactly and that's uh you know now that I'm on the other side of basketball trying to, you know, kind of coach this, the, the future generation, try to get that grit and that toughness back into it. And it's not working about, you know, I think everybody tries to play to look good versus, you know, just go out there and play to get the job done. You know what I mean? So I really love the kids that just got that grit. They're, they're playing hard. Even if they don't have all the talent in the world, I try to tell these kids by playing hard, you can beat talent that doesn't work hard, you know, nine times out of the 10. So, uh, I think, you know, the youth of the game is kind of missing out a lot. And hopefully uh, I could be a, a staple in bringing that back, at least in the area that I'm in now. No, for sure. And I think that 2008, 2019, your junior season is what you talked about. Grind, grit, tough, for sure. not flashy, not going to be for on sure. the highlights, but just going to beat teams. And because of that performance and your teammates and your coaching staff, you guys are sitting on selection Sunday in 2009. You guys get a higher seed. Now you get the 8-9 game in comparison to that 4-13 game. It's, you know, the 8-9 to coin flip. It's a 50-50. They're telling you you're For on sure. the same level as Ohio State, and we get one of the great NCAA round of 64 games the last 15 years. Uh, sure. You already know what the end of this is going to be, so we'll just start at the beginning. <laughs> Take us through the emotions of that game because it was so tight, truly a classic back and forth where I know coaches tell you this all the time, and you as a coach now know this. It felt like every possession truly mattered in that matchup. We'll get back to the Scottsdale Media Podcast, but first got to tell you about the people that make this podcast possible. That's our friends over at Mohawk Honda. New ride. The spring is here. Your spot is Glenville, New York at Mohawk Honda. Got some great things going on with our friends at Mohawk Honda this month in March. If you've got some athletic equipment and you want to donate it, they got a great partnership going on with great people here in the Capital Region. For more information, check out Mohawk Honda's Facebook page, Twitter, social media, and more, and also Mohawk Chevrolet. Getting a part of the action, the sports calendar has turned to March, and they want to make sure we're helping out the people that matter here in the Capital Region and those but might be in need. Athletic Equipment Drive across the Mohawk family, and Godzilla Media will be there live on location Thursday, March 10th from 4 to 5.30. The Plate Change Challenge is all across their social media platforms, and LeVac Gals will be broadcasting live on location. That's the time you can find out about the new vehicles, Shout out to everybody from Greg Johnson and Lindsey Harden. I see those guys participating. Can Travis Landry maybe repeat? Hot Sauce, Jake Doyle, the VIP man, Luis Morales. We can run through the names. 
Can't wait for you to find out more about the crew at Mohawk Honda. People that you can trust during the carbine experience. You want them on your side. The new vehicle, I got the 2022 Pilot EXL in my driveway. I got it from Mohawk Honda, where they always go out of their way to please you. And it's never too late to start thinking about the summer and your AC needs. That's Johnstone Supply in Troy. Shout out to our guy Tom, who's enjoying Las Vegas and learning about all the things that can improve for Johnstone Supply in Troy. I don't think those guys need to change anything, but these are the guys who continue to keep their eye, their hand, their finger, something on the pulse of what's going on in the AC market. Don't worry. They've been doing it for decades. They know more about the products than I do. That is for sure. Shout out to George is always doing a great job. Continuing to run Johnstone Supply in Troy and Rob and Kevin James and everybody who's doing it over there in Troy, New York, 6th Avenue. Call now for preseason pricing on the John Goodman Central ACs, the furnaces, and more. 2% off John Goodman furnaces right now. 518-272-5922. 518-272-5922. That's the number to Johnstone Supply in Troy. Fujitsu mini splits. Best quality products, unbeatable prices. Homeowner, are you figuring out those options? Get hooked up with that local contractor. Figure out what's best for your family. 6th Avenue, Troy, New York. Johnstone Supply in Troy. Always the best competitive prices, too, by the way. On those Milwaukee tools in stock, guaranteed. Johnstone Supply in Troy. Support those guys today. All right, let's get back into the Scottsdale Media Podcast. It, it, it definitely does, especially when you're playing with guys who obviously went first round with Evan Turner and... Uh, I forgot the big fella's name, um, seven-footer, who also got drafted. Um, and even this the young guys that were on that team, too, that ended up having amazing professional careers uh, with so much talent on that team. And, again, like you said, with them matching us up, they just let you know that, obviously, they felt as though we were on the same caliber uh, as them. And, you know, we were playing in our own backyard, which made it even, made it even more exciting, you know, so – uh, again, having been but been there before, I think definitely helped with us, you know, calming our nerves early on and knowing we got to go go out there and, like you said, every possession matters and take care of business. Thirteen years, you probably get asked constantly about this. Hopefully, it's <laughs> not getting old for you yet, because I'll just add my name to the list of people who have asked Ronald more about these two shots first. Overtime number one, take us through that shot in the first overtime session. Okay. Well, obviously, even if you listen to the commentators and uh, my guy Rafferty himself. 9.1. Got to get Hasbrook heads to the right corner. The jumper from Moore. Oh, yes! Wow! Two to go. Here's Diebler. Pump fake. Got the buzzer. Oh, how good is it? How good is it? Uh, the play was drawn up for Kenny going to the corner. Um, and I think they, you know, clearly probably stated that in the huddle, you know, to watch out for for, for, for Kenny. Uh, so they quickly took that away. And, uh, you know, just a quick read and instincts, man, and, uh, and, and making a play, to be honest. It's not a shot that I haven't done many times before in summer, in, in summer, summer hoops because we always joke about our, our summer runs at Siena because, uh, you know, guys get – I guess we could say a little bit more freedom, you know, obviously when we play uh, in season, it's a little bit more structured on what we need to do. So even Ryan Rossiter, I always would get on him because Ryan had a great shot that he would knock down consistently uh, in summer in summer hoops. But when it came to uh, <laughs> uh, in season play, he was more very reluctant to shoot a three ball. because I think he was worried if he missed, you know, Coach Mack, Mack had one of his, uh, his, his moments on him. So, uh, again, it was it wasn't a shot that I never haven't taken before. So 
I think that, you know, my guys trusted me, you know, to make that play and to make that read. If it wasn't there, you know, go ahead and take the shot. All right, here we go with shot number two, the second overtime. Let me turn it over to two legendary broadcasters, Vern Lundquist and Bill Raftery, 2009, Siena, Ohio State, Ronald Moore. Ronald Moore saves Siena in the first overtime. Letting them play. Eubulus, seven seconds to go. Three-pointer. Double water. For the second time in the second overtime, Ronald Moore, Kansas three. <laughs> Garden variety, the little guy knocking him down big time. All right, take us through it. What was going through your mind through this shot? Oh, man, that's all kudos to my my four-year roommate, man, Edwin Ubelese. Um, You know, we, we've had a bond, obviously, from freshman year all the way through my senior year. And that was all just, you know, him making a play and making an unselfish play because uh, I feel like he easily could have, you know, after the pump fake, attacked and attacked the basket and, you know, does what he does best or hit his pull-up jump shot, which he was very good at. But um, he found me seeing I was open, made the unselfish play. And, uh, you know, luck, luck struck that I was in the exact same spot. So uh, <laughs> just put up the exact same shot and went in. You know how different it would have been in 2022 comparison to 2009? You probably would have gone yeah. back to your phone. Your phone would have lit up on Twitter. That would have had my, a million views on social media, Instagram, right? All that stuff. I mean, my, my phone, I had a BlackBerry at that time, and it still was it was blowing up. I Obviously, there's no screenshots or anything that I can <laughs> go back and check. But, uh, you know, Facebook obviously was a big thing there. So I had a bunch of random friend requests on Facebook. So that was kind of, you know, I guess what would be, like you said now, it would have been uh, definitely something that went viral. I just heard from all my friends from back from high school and family, friends. My parents even heard from family members and friends they haven't talked to in years because we were the late game that night. So it was pretty much we really were the only thing left to watch. So all eyes was really on that game. I remember watching very well. I think I've told you this before on the radio side that I re- shout out to my buddy, Aaron Higgins. I remember being at the house in Syracuse and we were going ballistic for you thinking all right, yeah. they're two hours east, but we all need this for our bracket, man. We all had Sienna. Yeah. So, you know, even if you're not a Sienna fan, you may have become a Sienna fan that night because of the brackets and the great sure. game and everything else, man. So yeah. Uh, sure. Another great run. All those great things happen. Uh, then we go to 2010, man. It's your senior year. And, even though you've had some great moments, things are a little bit different your senior year, I think is the best way to set that up. No, for sure. I think that, uh, you know, again, I do. I think we we, def- we still had a successful year, but, you know, now it's kind of, in my opinion, uh, it, everybody has those thoughts about life after, ba- you know, life after college uh, and playing professional. Um, so uh, do I, I think we, I, like, like I said, I don't want to, put out this image that, you know, guys were out for themselves, but I just think that, you know, there were some distractions too at certain moments. It wasn't as laser focused as we used to be uh, over those course of those years, because now, you know, post Siena is, is, is a real possibility for a lot of us and uh, just taking care of ourselves and making sure that we, now it's kind of a different pressure because now, I guess you could say money's on the line, you know, our futures is on the line. So, um, it caused some games where we came up short where we shouldn't have. Um, and, you know, that's just you know, the way, way the cookie crumbles, I guess you could say. 
No, I think it's a fair way to put it because especially the comparison of mid-majors, I keep bringing up the timeline of when it was, but I think that's really fair for the context of younger listeners in particular, where 2008, 9, 10, although it's only 10 years ago, how different the evaluations are and the expansion of the G League and like all this stuff is so different 10 years ago. And it's not to make you and I feel old. It's that the way in which we watch basketball and how it changes, especially for the stage you were on changes for everybody. And that's okay. That's healthy. That's competition. That's all good stuff. For Uh, for those who maybe not know about your post Siena career, take us to your first opportunity to become a professional basketball player overseas. Oh man, it's definitely an experience for sure. Uh, <laughs> I uh, <laughs> ended up signing my first year contract in Slovakia, uh, which obviously is a country I knew nothing about. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know where it was at on the map. Uh, heard of it, obviously learned about, you know, the, all these different countries in Europe, but you know, no real background. So kind of just going in there, not really knowing what to expect. Um, and it wasn't really talked about, you know, guys going to Europe and playing basketball. So even if the guys who were playing, um, I didn't really know of those guys very well to reach out to be like, hey, what to expect, what's going on, so forth and so on. Where now I think a lot of guys have tons of information to uh, know what to expect before going over there. Um, so it was, definitely was an experience. I'll admit I even thought about coming home uh, halfway through the season. Yeah, but thank God, you know, I had a dad who was, you know, like, hey, you start something, you got to finish it. And uh, it ended up being a blessing in disguise because it uh, trickled on to be an 11-year career. The reason you wanted to come home, was it because just a culture shock? Because it was the competition level, a little bit mix of both? Really really just a culture shock, to be honest. You know, basketball for me is basketball. I'm always up for competition and uh, trying to play at the highest level. So really it was just a culture shock being homesick. Um, and, you know, obviously even then there was, there was no Instagram. I say this to guys now when I was me being one of the older guys on the teams the last couple of years when I had young guys and like, hey, there was no Apple TV. There was no, you know, Netflix, uh, you know, all these things now that really make you still feel at home even when you're away from home. I'm literally going to cafe shops, uh, you know, to talk to people on Skype or wherever the case might be, um, it wasn't. It, it was little, you're a little bit more cut off from the world than you are today. No, for sure. And Slovakia is the first country. Take us around the world. I had a, a funny graphic. I was going to write Ronald around the world. I decided not to do that. Just take <laughs> us to the other countries, man, that you end up playing in. Uh yeah. So you know, after uh, after Slovakia, I signed in Poland, uh, which was a great job coming from Slovakia because. Uh, we played in the Euroleague qualifications, which was, which is the highest level in Europe, you know, and the highest league outside of uh, the NBA, in my opinion. And I think many people view that the same thing. Um, uh, didn't make it, but played against uh, some NBA quality caliber players. Drawing a blank on some names right now, um, but then we played Euro Cup, which is again uh, very high level in Europe. Uh, so that was a great experience. And from there, I went to Ukraine. Um, which is sidebar. It's kind of funny because I left Ukraine earlier, similar to the same events that are happening now. Um, they obviously didn't escalate to as, as big as it is now, but I left there. Um, oh, did I skip a country? I might have skipped some. Oh, I went to Slovakia. Sorry. I went to Slovakia, Poland. <laughs> then I went to Hungary. I went to Hungary. Sorry. Uh, I went to Hungary for the first time. Um, and then after Hungary, I went to Ukraine. 
And uh, again, like I said, I left Ukraine early, landed in Italy, and then that was just love at first sight. Because uh, once I got there, it was like, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm leaving here. And the culture, the food, and um, everything in between. Um, I was there for the next five and a half years. Um, so I I'm finally decided to. No, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm glad you left off hungry just for the fact that it proved my point of what I was hoping to have happen there is that you played so much professional basketball around the world. It was hard to remember actually in the world where you lived and you were about to for finish sure. off with Italy there like for five and a half years. You fell in love with it for everything. Go ahead. Well, sure. why you love Italy? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I, I was met, fortunate enough to play in the south, uh, play in uh, up north, um, played uh, in Florence, which is, you know, obviously, I guess you could say the kind of the the middle so it's, it's all different cultures different aspects uh of italy uh, which i loved and you know again family members and friends were more willing to travel to italy as well <laughs> which made it a little bit easier because now i have uh some visitors to make my time away from home you know not seem so bad um but after that i went to france and i, I love france too I, was, I actually wanted to stay there but that's when uh COVID, the pandemic hit um cutting that season uh short in march um and then again wasn't sure if i was going to continue playing basketball then just because it's a weird time with you know pandemic happening and COVID, um you know playing without fans but i decided to uh go ahead and you know play for one more season which started out in croatia uh which was a beautiful country but didn't really feel you know at that point in my career i kind of know where i wanted to be kind of the style of play i wanted to play so I wasn't really happy there and ended up leaving and went back to Hungary um, and to finish my career, you know, pretty much finish my career this past season. All right. So I got to follow up there because there's a lot to that. So if For you sure. think if you think COVID doesn't hit, do you think it's potentially three or four more years you got in your career? Or you knew kind of timeline wise, this is my age I want to hit. This is my ability. I'm getting out in 2020, 2021-ish. To be honest, I think that if COVID didn't hit, I probably would have played an additional year for sure, maybe two. Um, something like I said, uh, going to France, I really did enjoy France. So I kind of envisioned doing kind of the same thing as I did in Italy, kind of, you know, playing in different parts of France and, uh, you know, making it again a home away from home. Because I think it was a very professional league, great talent. Um, and, uh, you know, I enjoyed I enjoyed the competition. So the drive was still there. I think the pandemic kind of kind of changed a lot for me. That was the longest I've been home, coming home in March. Um, so I got comfortable being at home. A lot of things, obviously, I wasn't accessible to. So working out on a daily basis during COVID in the gym and so forth. So I kind of got used to being home. So even just gearing up to go back for that year, this past season, <laughs> was, a, was, a, was a lot of work. And, Again, once to get back over there, no playing in front of no fans. And that was kind of, you know, you take out the fans in basketball or any professional sport, uh, it makes it difficult to get up for, for games day in and day out. For sure. It feels like a different sport you're playing. It feels like a different level that you're playing at. And I think for some maybe fans who are not as familiar with overseas basketball, just to add for some, some perspective here, your teammates, how often on some of these teams is it limited to how many American players are on the roster? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, every 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 country rules is different. Um, in Italy, it was uh, five foreigners, so it could be just you know anybody that's not from Italy. Most of the time, it usually ends up being five Americans. Um, but Croatia, I believe, it was only about three. 
three foreigners. So every country is different on how many foreigners you can get. And uh, when I was in Croatia, I was the only American. So it made it even um, more difficult to, you know, just the day in, day out. You know, obviously these guys are from the country. They go do their own thing. So and trying to do all this during COVID, you know, makes it, you know, 10 times harder getting tested every other day. It's a lockdown happening every other week. So, you know, majority of the time, I'm just spending my time in the apartment and at the gym uh, if we're not traveling. So just didn't make it as fun as it used to be, uh, which kind of, you know, kind of made me mind like, hey, maybe this might be might be the end here. <laughs> All right. So you hinted at it there a little bit. The, the graphic says retirement question mark. So I'll leave that yeah. there. So <laughs> technically you are retired. I don't know if here you're going to announce your official retirement, but I feel like you're every other athlete. You feel like you're ready to go. And if the offer comes, you go out and ball. No, for sure. No, I, I definitely uh, officially have hung them up. I, I've had a few offers uh, over the past couple months. And, uh, you know, some obviously that, you know, actually intrigued me. But it was uh, – I just knew that it was time. You know, obviously, like I, we talked off, off, offline here with, you know, having kids now, having, having two and a wife. And I started up, you know, other businesses – uh, you know, over the last two years prior to me actually officially retiring that I can finally be officially full-time hands-on and keep growing those. Well, let's talk about them. Let's talk about the businesses. I think I see out there on social media, you're doing a little coaching as well. What's a day in the life now like for Ronald Moore? Man, it's still basketball 24-7, to be honest, uh, with a little side of uh, real estate. Um, so, I, you know, I've, I've, my brother and I created our own, I guess you could say, basketball business with uh, training kids and having camps and clinics. Um, and we even started up our uh, own AAU team over the last year, uh, which really started off with a great success, man. People people in the area, you know, really look to us as far as basketball guidance goes. So we take that with tremendous pride and try to help these kids, you know, go as far as they could possibly can in this sport. And so much other stuff that basketball brings, not only just the stuff on the court, but the relationships um, off the court um, as well. I've met so many people through this game um, that really just helped me along the way in every aspect of, you know, of life, to be honest, and lifelong friends. Um, and then the real estate side, uh, you know, they never they say you can never go wrong with real estate. So the money that I did make, you know, I bought a, a number of properties and continues to looking for, you know, good deals to keep, you know, scaling up. And uh, and that's kind of, I guess you could say, my, my, my newfound love is the uh, the real estate world, even though it's another, again, it's competitive too in its own way. And uh, it's some, you know, life less learn lessons along that way as well. So constantly learning, man, and in all aspects of life. And that's kind of what I like about this post-retirement life so far. Yeah. Getting to talk to you now in an extended format. I had a feeling competition was going to come back into your life <laughs> at some point. So yeah, I had a feeling a lot of those things you just said there make sense post-basketball. And you gave me a perfect segue. We closed these getting there with Gaz interviews because it's the journey, that, that career journey for whatever you do, media members, coaches, athletes, business owners. And the best part about this is to offer up to somebody young who's aspiring to be maybe where you are in your life, now post-basketball, but especially for young basketball players who might hear this, who knows, maybe they're listening to the Capital Region, they're listening in Philly. What's the best advice you can give a young basketball player now to reach where you did in your journey? Oh, man, just I think they just don't give it, don't go half, you know, 50% of this, man. I definitely think just give it your all, give it your 100%. I think looking back now that my career is over, um, I'm, I'm content, I'm happy. 
just because I know that I've left no no stone unturned. I, I put all my effort into it. Because um, if you do that and it doesn't work out, then you can live with yourself and move on to the next chapter. But if you don't give it the full one, it's always that what if factor. that is just going to eat at you uh, for years to come. Um, so that's kind of really my main thing. And I always now with these podcasts or interviews, anytime I get a chance now, it's kind of trying to tell kids that, you know, obviously there's many ways to affect the game of basketball. It's not just scoring. Because obviously you got the guys that kids look up to, uh, Steph Curry, the Hardens, uh, the John Morants now. Let's go young. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they, they see the scoring aspect. But there's so many things that you can affect the game from, you know, the ones that don't stop in the stat, stat sheet, the assists, the rebounds, the steals. Um, which, you know, not only does, you know, the professional level looks at, um, but even, you know, at the college level, the high school level and these things, you get good as those as well. It's not just scoring. Um, it might give you an inch ahead of the next guy because there's a lot of guys that play this game of basketball. Well, Ron, I appreciate the time, man. I know how busy it is with the little ones around. We're bouncing back and forth. We're both doing our dad duties. I'm glad <laughs> here in March we were able to carve out some time for each other. Sienna's got the MAC tournament coming up. Hopefully the Saints do well. Who knows? Maybe they'll be back to the NCAA tournament. We'll get to talk about some more memories with your alma mater very soon. But enjoy the basketball coming up here in March, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. No, thank you. Thanks again. Thanks for having me.